Father, we just want to take a moment and thank you for your goodness and your grace, the blessings that you have given us. And Lord, even the opportunity to see the results over generations as we get together and uh, with family and, and see what happens when those, those who give themselves to the Lord and the blessings that it brings upon the succeeding generations. Lord, we thank and praise you for making a father to be what he is supposed to be and giving him strength to just be that directional uh, beacon in our lives and to give us what we need. And Lord, we're thankful that you are a heavenly father and that you want to guide and direct us through each day. In your name we pray. Amen. Because Psalms is the book, plural, and each individual psalm is simply that. Uh, these are the songs of Israel, and um, this is a psalm of David, Psalm 11, only seven verses, and let's just read through the entire psalm and then just walk through it. In, in the Lord put I my trust, how say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked... He shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and in horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance, countenance doth behold the upright. Now, one of the most absolutely difficult things there is to do is to take poetry from one language and put it into another. And of course, different languages and different peoples have different ideas. Uh, I've used this as an example many times. How many of you have seen the poetry in motion on the subways? Uh, I don't know what language or culture that comes from, but I don't claim it. That uh, is bizarre. I walked out, it was raining, raining. I walked out in the rain, it was at night. Oh, I, I, I think Esther and Philip could do a lot better job at that than that. Um, yet, in Hebrew poetry, the idea is not, as in English, uh, that's okay, it's still making noise, we'll, we'll work on that cordless there, but... Um, in Hebrew poetry, the idea was not rhyming words. And uh, I, I love the poetry that is in many of our hymns. And, and uh, I don't know that I'm one of those guys that just likes to pick up a book of poetry and read it. Um, it just doesn't uh, appeal to me that much because most poetry doesn't really say anything. They said if you could use regular words... Uh, you shouldn't use poetry, and most poets should adhere that advice. Just not do it. Uh, but uh, 
Some, I love the poems that we sing in our hymns, and, and uh, there certainly is a place for some of that. But as we look here in the Psalms, what the psalmist is doing is he's not trying to rhyme or contrast sounds. He's trying to rhyme and contrast thoughts. I mean, when it comes to poetry, I like the basis of Hebrew poetry much more than I do of English poetry. Because it's not just meant to sound nice. It's meant to convey a thought. It's meant to make you stop and really examine some things. And as we look at this this poem, this psalm, this song that was meant to be sung... It says, in the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Now let's just stop and examine that first phrase. David says, I put my trust in the Lord. How many times in David's life did he have need of fleeing and hiding? He was chased by Saul, as we had in our, in our Sunday school this morning. Later on, it would be Absalom that, that would literally chase him out of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, just before he died, it was the angel of the Lord that came and passed judgment upon Israel for David's sin. And, and David is looking here and he's saying, listen, I've put my trust in the Lord Why are you telling me to go hide? There's an awful lot to be afraid of today. How many of you have seen that silly sticker that people put on their cars? No fear. Uh, That's N-O, fear. And, uh, of course, if someone has no fear, there's a lot of other things they don't have, like sense, uh, Uh, There's just, I mean, there are some things you ought to be afraid of. Amen. But right here, the psalmist is saying, listen, I've put my trust in the Lord. Now, one of the great lessons that you and I need to learn today, just because I put my trust in the Lord, just because you put your trust in the Lord, just because our faith is in the immovable omnipotent God, the creator of the universe, that doesn't stop the wicked from doing wickedness. That doesn't stop them from wanting to attack us. Now, does it? Did God say, you put your faith and trust in me and you'll have no tribulation, no one will ever be mad at you? No, I think Jesus said, you're going to have tribulation in this world. He said, there is going to be problems. Now look at verse 2. The the psalmist tells, for lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privately, privily shoot at the upright in heart. The wicked are still going to do wickedly. I don't know how many people over the years have come to me and, and please... If your heart is broken, let's talk about this thing. But you got to understand something. The wicked are still going to do wicked. 
their wickedly, wickedness. They're going to be involved. That's what the wicked people of this world are all about. We, we've had movements where we've tried to Christianize society, and what we get is a bunch of wicked people acting like Christians. Let me tell you, there's nothing more dangerous than that. Because you cannot witness to a wicked person who acts like a Christian. You can't do it. And if you wonder what I'm talking about, uh, some of you aren't old enough to remember this, but back in 1980, we had President Ronald Reagan elected to office. Uh, The major uh, force behind that election was a group of Christians in this country called the Moral Majority. Now, let me tell you, they were not a majority. Uh, but the majority of people in this nation listened to what was going on and were influenced, and, and Ronald Reagan was elected to the White House. Did that stop the wicked from doing wickedly? No. When the wicked do wickedly, we ought to expect it. Don't get excited when it seems like you're being attacked by the wicked. That's what the psalmist is saying. He said, I put my trust in the Lord. Why am I going to flee as a bird to the mountain? Why am I going to go hide? I've got work to do in serving the Lord. But let me tell you something. He's contrasting the ideals here so that we can see the difference. The wicked are still going to do wickedly. Then he asks a question in verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? He said, if the foundations can be destroyed, if the foundations be destroyed, I'm sorry, what can the righteous do? Now, I had taken this at in a different way and really, I believe, out of context before in a message and talked about how that certain people have destroyed the foundations of their faith. But let me ask you a question. Just because you criticize the King James Bible, does that change the fact that this is the Word of God in the English language? No. Uh, But let me tell you something. There's not a handful of Bible colleges, and when I mean handful, I'm talking about five or six in this country, uh, of real bona fide Bible colleges. uh, Praise the Lord, there is many, many local church institutes that still believe the Bible is the Word of God. But when you talk about major Bible colleges, there aren't very many. That's a foundation. But just because this group of people doesn't believe it does not destroy the foundation. Amen? But you you know what? You're going to have a hard time talking to those people that believe that because the foundation of everything we believe is in a literal understanding of the words of this book called the Bible. If you meet someone who refuses to accept that, let me tell you something. You can't witness to that person effectively because you're just going to be passing in the hallways. It, it's like going to a, 
uh, how many of you have ever seen one of those sword fights? They have two people and, and you're supposed to engage and they have those fancy little costumes on and all this. And, and uh, I'd always thought, man, I, I think I could do that. And then I wake up in the morning and said, boy, I'm glad I never tried. Uh, but the simple thing is, when you have a competition going on, the idea is to cross swords to make contact. It would really be stupid if they said, let's go, and the one guy turns around and starts fencing in the air this direction, the other guy starts fencing in the air in that direction. Uh, if you have nothing that you can agree on, you can't have conversation. But that's not what this verse is talking about. What this verse is talking about is the foundation of the person of God cannot be destroyed. No matter how wickedly the wicked do, no matter how many times they try to privately or privily shoot at the upright, God is still God. He's not going anywhere. And the reason I believe that, look at the next verse, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyelids, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Now, the picture here in verse 4, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? But God is in his temple. The Lord still sits upon his throne. God is watching his eyes behold, and then it says his eyelids try. And that may be a little confusing, but it's a, somewhat of a poetic way. But what do you do when you really think about something? You look at the problem, maybe it's a, uh, a math problem or something. You look at it, and then you just close your eyes and you think about it. Does anybody else do that? I mean, we do that almost automatically. That's what the psalmist is saying. He says, God looks at what's going on. And, of course, we know that God doesn't need to think about it. He already knows what's best. But God is putting effort into this. He will make sure that everything is right. Verse 5, the Lord trieth the righteous. But the wicked in him that loveth violence, his soul hideth. Here's the foundations that cannot be destroyed. God loveth, he trieth the righteous. You know, one of the biggest problems we have today is that the righteous grow weary in being righteous. The righteous give up doing what's right. And then what is God left to do but to judge the righteous? And what is our response when God judges us? God, you don't understand. I've been trying. I've been doing the best I can. Uh, I, I mean, you've got to understand I'm human. And God more than understands your humanness. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross. Amen. But God is going to try the righteous. He's going to prove us. He's going to test us. He's going to put us through difficult times. But look what it says is going to happen to the wicked. 
Verse 6, upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and in horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. How many people who are not living for God live half their life looking over their shoulder to make sure something they've done in the past isn't catching up with them? Uh, could I tell you almost all of them? Snares. Fire and brimstone. They used to accuse the old-time preachers of being fire and brimstone preaching. Well, right here the psalmist says that God is going to bring this into the lives of those that do not serve God and in horrible tempest. Now, how many people do you know that have talked about the storms in their lives and the difficulties and having to go through great problems in deep waters because of sinful choices that they have made in their lives? I mean, just pick up the newspaper. Take a look. It happens. I think of one of the most famous sinners in recent history that we know about, a, a fellow named Bill used to live in Washington, D.C. I mean, you look, at, you look at what happened in that life. You know what his great legacy is? He was the second president impeached in the history of the United States. The first president was impeached because he was trying to bring peace and reconcile the South after the Civil War to the North. The second president was impeached because he had no self-control. He had no moral standing. I mean, it's going to be in all the history books. And horrible tempest, the only president in the history of the United States that had to raise a defense fund, a legal defense fund that he advertised everywhere, people please send me money so I can defend myself in court. Hey, let me tell you, God is still on his throne. He's going to keep his word. This is their portion. And by the way, every once in a while, Bill Clinton shows up. And what does everybody do? I wonder if he's being good. Isn't that what people think? How many of you remember Ronald Reagan's funeral in contrast to that? Completely different set. And by no means was Ronald Reagan... Uh, there's very little evidence that he truly trusted Jesus as his Savior, but he was much more of a righteous man. And there's great difference in contrast in those two lives. The reason I say that is his testimony was he was raised in Church of Christ, which believe in baptismal regeneration. And so I, I hope and pray that he did trust the Lord as his Savior before he died. But it's a very scary thought. But I want you to see the contrast here. You see, 
The psalmist wants us to understand, I put my trust in the Lord. I don't need to run away from life. I don't need to run away from the wicked. There is nothing that I'm going to face in this life that I need to hide from. But just because my faith is in God, just because I don't need to hide does not mean that the wicked are not going to do wickedness, that they're not going to attack me because that's what wicked people do. They want to destroy the upright in heart. But only if the foundations are destroyed can the righteous lose. Nobody's going to heaven to take the Lord off his throne or out of his temple. Amen? No one is going to stop God from keeping a record of every deed that was ever done by every human being that ever lived. And God, the holy judge, is going to bring things in this life and in eternity. Because he is the righteous judge. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Have you ever suffered for righteousness' sake? Have you ever had sorrow in your life because you were doing right? Let me tell you something. God is watching. He's keeping track of those things. And you can believe that God will reward his servants because the foundations, the foundations of our faith is the person and the presence of Almighty God. Don't be afraid. But don't be shocked when the wicked attack. Understand that God is still on his throne. And he is going to take care of you, but he's going to prove you. When we as the righteous step out of the path of righteousness, God must judge us as well. When we continue to do right because it's right to do, the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. He is watching. He's going to take care of us. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't that a hope that you can pin your life on, an anchor that will hold you and this short little psalm here is the psalmist giving us an illustration, and we could go to the life of David. I, I love this story. I, David was trapped on the mountain. He had gone down, and he had obeyed God and delivered the inhabitants of Keilah, and what they did was turn David over to Saul. Saul had 3,000 men with him. David had 600. David and his men were trying to escape. They were going around the mountain, and Saul got the mountain encircled at the base. It was only a matter of time until David and his men were captured and killed. And along comes a messenger. The Philistines have invaded the land. 
Study the life of King Saul. Was it not a life of snares? As he tried to ensnare David here, and he, and he ruined the life of his daughter Michael by trying to use her as a snare toward David. His entire uh, family was destroyed. Jonathan would go and stay with his father and was true and loyal to his dad till the day of his death. But he was also loyal to David until the day of Jonathan's death. How do you do that? Jonathan's life wasn't very happy, I'll promise you that. David saw all of these things. That is the portion of their cup. Why would you want the world when you can have the Creator? He's watching. He's going to try you. He's going to test you. But when he sees righteousness, he's going to love you and bring you through the difficulties of this life. He is keeping records. This is the psalm. Now, we could go through David's life and we could say, you know, David did a lot of rotten things in his life now, didn't he? But God judged David as a righteous man. And God rewarded David in a very special way. And when the Messiah sits upon the throne of David, is the throne he will sit on. He will identify himself and did when Jesus was here on earth as the son of David. I don't think there's much higher honor than that in all of mankind. Why? Because David put his trust in the Lord. And we're going to see things happen that none of us want to see. Keep your trust in the Lord and remember the foundations cannot be destroyed because God is on his throne. And though all around us forsake the truth and go away, let us keep our faith in God because he is the one that's keeping track. And all God's people said, let's have just a moment here. And if you'd like to pray, we'll give you that opportunity. Then we'll get into our prayer time. Seven short verses. Put your trust in the Lord.